the uh, first part of the message. I get to make up for my mistakes I made last week. Uh, I was talking about Paul last week, and we said he was from Tarsus, and I said that was like north of Israel, but actually it's like north of, so I went back and looked this week, it's north of the of the Mediterranean Sea. You can see the red pointer there I put for you. That's actually Tarsus, which is now Turkey. But at that time, if you remember, the Roman Empire was in charge, and that was actually a Roman province. Thus, I'm a Roman citizen. So there you go. Explanation explained. Now go to the next map. I zoom in to Israel, and I'm going to show you a couple of things as we get through Acts chapter 8 today. Uh, you'll see our landmarks for sure. The body of water at the top is the Sea of Galilee. The bottom of water at body of water at the bottom is the Dead Sea. Jerusalem being the the gold stars right there in the middle. But we actually talk about uh, Philip going down to Gaza. You have heard the Gaza Strip, but Gaza is right there on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, right before you get to Egypt. It's at the bottom. Then eventually he'll make his way up to Caesarea. Caesarea is a city that uh, you'll hear about in the next couple of chapters as well, but it's also on the Mediterranean Sea. So now you've kind of got your landmarks when we go through this study this morning of what we're talking about. Of course, Jerusalem being the mainstay of the Jewish faith, and it's up. Jerusalem is up everywhere else you go down to. Down to Gaza, down to Caesarea from Jerusalem. So we pick up in chapter 8, verse 9. Verse 9 is where we left off. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city, and amazed the Samaritan people. Amazed is what my translation says, but if you were actually to uh, describe what the, the Greek context here that Luke used, it was they were astounded. They were confounded. In fact, some translations will even say they were bewitched. It says, Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city, and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. Now, as we've gone through the Gospels and we're working our way through Acts, it's a basic principle in Scripture. Wherever God sows His true believers, those that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Satan will most likely sow his counterfeits as well counterfeits a counterfeit christian is that somebody that actually believes or someone that says they believe now i i hate the question i hate the question somebody asked me about one of our uh governing authorities local governing authorities do you think they're saved i i am not the judge trust me i'm not the judge i i don't know I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, I know I'm going to be there <laughs> uh, because I read here and I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I know where my heart is. I know what the Bible says. Uh, but for me to actually sit there and judge somebody's faith, I, I just don't want to do it. You don't want me to do it. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, but so to talk about these people, I don't know. 
But we know based upon what we have here in the Word, it's probably some questions here. I mean, you think about John the Baptist ministry and Jesus. Uh, all of them were challenged by counterfeits. It's like the enemy comes in, the enemy comes in, and it wants to devour like a lion. So if the church is starting up here, what better way to hurt the church than to put some counterfeits in there? I mean, he's a serpent that comes to deceive. And I believe that's what's happening here with Simon. Verse 10, it says, They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, This man is called the great power of God. Simon, a sorcerer, it says, and the people are calling him the great power of God. And I'm assuming that somehow he's taking on that name himself because of the magic that he's able to do. Verse 11, it says, They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. This is in Samaria. Remember, Samaria is probably on that map between Jerusalem and Caesarea. And remember what I said last week. Samaria was a place that the Jews just didn't want to go because they were half-breeds. They were half-Jews, and then when they got dispersed out into Babylonia and things like that, they, mar- they intermingled married. All right, They were not fully Jews. They were Samaritans, and they were looked down upon by the rest of the Jews. It says, but when they believed Philip... They've been watching Simon the sorcerer and they were amazed. But when they believed Philip as he pro watch this, as he proclaimed the good news, the good news being that Jesus is the Messiah, about the kingdom of God, he's talking he paints the whole picture about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. He literally mentions Jesus' name to the Samaritans. It says both men and women were baptized. Like, if you literally hear the good news, <laughs> if you literally hear the good news, not, not some kind of sales pitch, but you hear that you were born a sinner And people tried to live in their own strength and that was impossible to do, but God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, all your sins, past, present, and future. He was buried, He rose again, now He sits at the right hand of the Father and He sent the Spirit to live inside of you. And, oh, oh, get this now. He sees you as redeemed. He sees you as holy. He sees you as a saint. But don't miss the reason why. Because He made you that way. He made you redeemed. He made you holy. He made you a saint. There's no filter there. He's not looking through Jesus and seeing you. Don't get that. He made you holy. He made you righteous. He made you a saint. I said that was the good news. Thank you. So he's literally telling them the good news. 
And it says, both men and women, remember Luke takes advantage here and he says the women too, he includes them. He says both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. There, there's no object given for when it says Simon believed. There, it says right before the people, both men and women, were baptized, it says that Philip gave him the good news, gave him the kingdom of God, he gave him the name of Jesus. But for Simon, it doesn't mention any of that stuff. It just says that he believed. In fact, the only response connected with his baptism was him following Philip everywhere, totally enamored by Philip's miraculous signs. Like Simon, here's a sorcerer, local magician. Everybody's got him up on a pedestal. And crazy things are happening because Philip is preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, which includes the name of Jesus. There's a little bit of envy going on here. Simon's following him around. And his faith is a lot like the people of Jerusalem who witnessed the Lord's or Jesus' miracles. Go back to John chapter 2. Watch this. Verse 23, it says, while he was in, this is talking about Jesus, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Like these people, the Jews, were following Jesus because he was doing great miracles and signs. Yet, Jesus knew their heart, that they didn't really believe. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And you look at James 2.19, it says, You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. He's literally saying even the demons believe that he's God. So, now Simon himself, has followed Philip and he's amazed and he says this in verse it says this in verse 14 when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God they sent Peter and John to them the apostles are all nestled in Jerusalem everybody else is kind of scattered but they've stayed right there now they're hearing that people in Samaria are coming to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So they said, hey, we need to send a pair of our representatives from the church there. Well, they sent their two big names, Peter and John. It says, after they went down there from Jerusalem, they went down there. They prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. Wait. I thought they were believing and that the Spirit comes as soon as they believe. Hang on. Verse 16, it says, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I, I think it's important that we know what Luke is describing here. 
They were able to come to faith simply because of their belief that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that with all all my heart, that they came to faith just because they heard and trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But it says the Spirit didn't come upon them until Peter and John were sent from Jerusalem and actually laid hands on them. That's a little bit in contrast to what we teach and believe about us now. Like I literally believe if somebody in here comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit comes in them. There's not a second laying on of hands or anything like that. The Spirit. So why now does this happen? Because the only people in general at this point that were believing in Jesus as the Messiah were the Jews. It hadn't yet gone to the Gentiles. And I, I just totally believe that God waited for Peter and John, Jews, to get there to this group of people that are seen as half-breeds, not part of the Jewish nation, and He waited for them to approve and make the church one. Like, you all belong with us, the Jews, because you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I absolutely believe it was necessary for Peter and John to come and lay hands on them. He wanted to unite the Samaritan believers with the original Jewish church. You remember, Jesus said to Peter, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Peter is literally the one that is going to open the door for the Samaritans to believe in Jesus by laying his hands on them. Then a couple chapters later, he's the one that goes and opens the door for the Gentiles to come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. They're truly fulfilling prophecy right here. Verse 18, it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Simon the magician says, I'll pay you for that trick. Show me how you did that trick right there, and I'll, I'll, that's what magicians do. They buy tricks. Teach me how you do that, because I want to be able to do the same thing. He's saying, give me this power also that, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit because it was so obvious that when they believed and they laid their hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit, there was an absolute change among the community. It was so obvious. Even Simon saw it. And just a complete misunderstanding by Simon about how this whole thing worked. His whole behavior was completely in character for a professional magician. Now verse 20 it says, But Peter but Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you. That was pretty condemning. I bet he had a finger in his face. May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. That's leading me to believe that Simon is not a true believer. That he's a counterfeit. And what Peter's saying to him is here probably two things. I'm excommunicating you from this group. 
you no longer can be a part of this if this is what you believe. The other thing he's saying, I'm going to protect this flock. I'm going to protect this flock from what you're teaching, from what you're doing, from what you're trying to sell them that's counterfeit. Verse 22, it says, Therefore, Peter gives them the chance, Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord if possible. Your heart's intent may be forgiven, for I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. I mean, you can literally see through Acts. You go through Ananias and Sapphira, you see Judas. There's acts of greed that will always become a destructive force. Greed will destroy you. And as we go through Acts, you're going to see that that really plays out. Verse 24. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Hmm. Again, I'm not the judge here. Well, Peter just said, you're not of this faith. You're a counterfeit. The things that you're wanting to do, not a God. And Simon looks at Peter and says, pray for me. There's no mention of repentance. I don't know what happens to Simon. If they, if he literally asked Peter and John to pray for him, I'm sure Peter and John probably did. I'm not sure. He didn't express any repentance. Instead, he just asked them, will you intercede for me? Doesn't show any prayer of change. He's kind of just fearful of the predicament that Peter pronounced to him. Maybe he just wants out of that predicament. I don't know. I just know this. God's Spirit cannot be bought or manipulated. Verse 25, So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So now, Peter and John, preaching in Jerusalem, leave and go to Samaria, lay hands on the Samaritans, say, hey, we're all of one faith. We're all of one body. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the Messiah. And now they're traveling back to Jerusalem after saying, we endorse what's going on here in Samaria. And it really kind of encouraged Philip. It allowed him to be a representative of the church as well. Verse 26 now. Change stories. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This is after the affirmation he received in Samaria. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the area we showed you on the map next to the Mediterranean Sea that's close to Egypt. It was actually the last watering place on the long road to Egypt. This is the last place that you got water was in Gaza. Verse 27 says, So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of the entire treasury. It's not the same Ethiopia that you're thinking about today. Same area, Nile River, 
but a different group of people. And they gave a lot of, Luke gave a lot of terminology right there. Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official, treasurer. He mentioned a lot of things. In the ancient world, uh, slaves were often castrated as, as boys. And, and in order to use them and keep them as a harem for their treasury. And the eunuchs were found to be particularly trustworthy and loyal. And so sometimes in the scripture and sometimes in historical reference, they had to manage the treasury, but they may not have necessarily been castrated. It's a term that became intertwined. Who knows if they really were? In this case, I think that the Ethiopian slave was definitely a eunuch. Watch this. It says in uh, the next verse, verse 27 still, it says, He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. He had gone to worship in Jerusalem. He, Luke made note of that. Guess what? If he's a eunuch, if he's been castrated, guess what? Deuteronomy says that he can't go into the specific temple to worship because his body is not whole. So he literally went to Jerusalem and now he's on his way back. But he's not a Jew. He's not a Jew, but he definitely believed in God. Now, this is, this is the interesting part right here. Watch this. He's got wealth. He's probably well-educated. He's the treasurer for the queen down in Ethiopia. He's heard about God somehow because it's already spread. Well, it was the Jews, not necessarily about Jesus at this point. But the Jews had been dispersed, obviously, in Egypt, and he's learned about God, and he's pursuing God. He wants to worship Him. Now watch this, verse 28. And he was sitting in his chariot, that shows wealth, on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. He's wealthy enough to have a scroll. You realize that the Old Testament, the Torah, the prophets, the history books, they were all translated many different times. They were written out, and he was actually had a scroll that he's reading. And here's the interesting thing. It's most likely in Hebrew been translated to his language, and Luke actually, in this part, translates it to Greek. Okay? Verse 31, it says, How can I, he said, unless someone guide... He said, oh, wait. Back up, I missed point. It says, uh, he had come to worship in Jerusalem, was sitting in his chair and on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? So here's a chariot, got horses in the front. The eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, sitting in the chariot, he's got a scroll and he's reading it. And Philip starts running beside him. <laughs> and he's listening to him. Oh man, he's reading Isaiah. And he literally runs up beside him and says, hey, do you even know what you're reading? 
the manuscript was all, it's hard to read. There's no question about it, but he had the capability of doing it. And he says, how can I, he said, unless someone guides me. There needs to be an interpreter here. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip jumps up in his chariot. They got the scroll of Isaiah. This is crazy. It says, now the scripture passage he was reading was this. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Guess what they're reading? They're reading Isaiah chapter 53. If you know what Isaiah chapter 53 is, it is actually labeled the suffering servant. Isaiah was a prophet before Jesus ever came along and said, this is what's going to happen to the Messiah. And it lays out perfectly what Jesus did here on earth. Isaiah is describing exactly what happened to Jesus here on earth years before it occurred. And this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, is sitting in his chariot reading about it and doesn't have a clue what it means. So he invites Philip, who's got the spirit inside of him, into his chariot and starts explaining this to him. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What could keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, do you realize what just happened here? He didn't have a clue what he was reading. Philip sat there and just explains to him, that whole thing you're reading there, this happened just a few years ago four or five years ago. It happened by a man named Jesus. And he tells him the good news. And the Ethiopian believes it. And he says so much, hey, I want to do what Jesus said to do, which was to be baptized. They're at the last watering hole before he gets home. They get out, and he baptizes them right there. (laughs) When they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Remember, the Spirit's the one that told Philip to go there in the first place. Now he's telling Philip to leave. And the eunuch didn't see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. You know, it's, I sat there and thought, it's like, uh, I go to a few sporting events, uh, but it's always exciting when the home team wins and you leave with the crowd out the gates because everybody's rejoicing and excited and happy. And I'm sure this is exactly what the Ethiopian was doing. He was going home happy as can be. It was rejoicing. And then the last verse, it says, Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's the same Caesarea that here in just a couple chapters Peter comes to and meets with Cornelius and again opens the gospel to all the Gentiles. 
So now think about this for a second. He sat in the chariot with this Ethiopian eunuch and he says, for his life was taken from this earth. His life was taken from this earth. His life was taken from this earth for one reason. So that you and I can have life. That's it. Oh, don't miss this. I, I get that he was on the cross, that he was crucified and his blood was poured out. His blood not only covered my sin, but he forgave me of all my sin. But then he actually died and was buried and he rose again so that you and I could have life here today. Amen. So that you and I could have life here today. It would be the right thing for us to do is to remember Jesus as he asked us to remember him today. And so we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper here this morning. I'm going to ask that uh, some of the guys I've already like asked to get up and help uh, serve. They're going to pass out the, the bread and let's go ahead and do uh, the juice as well, gentlemen, all at the same time. So you all just spread out. We'll play some music. Just get it. You make sure you get a piece of bread and a cup to drink and uh, hold on to it. And we'll share that here together in just a second.